You're listening to Commissioning Conversations, the podcast brought to you by Broadcast Intelligence. Hi, and welcome to Commissioning Conversations. I'm Heather Fallon. And I'm Alice Redmond, and we are both reporters and researchers for the Commissioner Index. This week, we're joined again by our friends from Digital Eye to talk all things Netflix. We'll be discussing our favourite cancelled shows and why we think that the streamer decided to put them in the bin. So, hi Heather. Hello, hello. We have another fun podcast lined up, a great discussion on Netflix strategy and cancelled shows with our friends Matt and Sophia at Digital Eye. We had a really fun discussion, so we're going to skip Green Light of the Week this week and just get straight into things. Yep, enjoy. So we've got Matt Ross here with us. Hello. And we're also joined by Sophia Vadati here today to talk about Netflix shows being cancelled. Yes. Hi, everyone. Yeah, really exciting. So what we're going to do is we've all brought along to this podcast recording our favourite shows that have been cancelled by Netflix rather harshly. I think everyone feels about their own show. Um, And so we're going to talk about what our favourite cancelled shows are and then why we think that's happened. So I don't know if he wants to take it away with their cancelled show first. Sophia, you go. It's your your first time on the podcast. You can have the okay. Okay. Great. My moment. Moment of fame. Yeah. So I chose Mindhunter, and after doing a bit of research, it's a bit of a cheat because the jury's still out about whether it's cancelled or not. Oh. So we'll see. But so Mindhunter is a psychological crime thriller based on a on, on a book which was about kind of investigating serial killers and trying to get into their mindset rather than just thinking that they're monsters. It's uh, one of the big directors is David Fincher and also Charlize Theron as well as on the EP list. So I think it was a pretty high budget season to make. They've got two seasons and they were two years apart, which is also quite a long time. Mm. And then now, so the last season was released in 2019. So we're another two years on and we're still waiting. I think David Fincher said that he was spending 90 hours every week on the show and that the viewership wasn't worth the effort. But I also kind of think that potentially he was charging a lot of money for it too. So it might not have been worth it for Netflix. I must admit that it kind of, um, you know, Sophia told me she was going to do Mindhunter ahead of this uh, podcast today and I hadn't heard and it's one of my favourites and I didn't realise it was cancelled so I had a bit of a heartbreak moment yesterday when you said you were going to do you were going to do Mindhunter I didn't actually realise that I was really looking forward to the next series oh no, oh, no. <laughs> that's the worst way to find out like we're doing a podcast about cancelled shows and your favourite show has been cancelled definitely one of my favourites I don't know if, if, if you guys watched it it was um I'm, I'm a big David Fincher fan and uh, I was very excited when he was going to um, do a series on Netflix, but it, yeah, and it was great. But I guess I guess it's just uh, with everything else that's probably going on for for him and for uh, the people that make the show, it, it just it wasn't the right timing. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that's one of the ones that's been more of a, a less traditional cancel. Maybe it's been cancelled by the makers rather than mm. by actually Netflix themselves. It's quite an interesting one. Mine was a, a double cancellation essentially because my favourite Netflix show was it. Yeah, no, was. I don't think it still is, but um, was Girl Boss when it came out. At the time, I was working as a fashion intern, so I 
Let's start up because it's about a girl. It's based on the true story of the founder of the clothing brand Nasty Gal. And that originally started as a vintage shop on eBay. And um, it follows the main character, Sophia, her life in San Francisco. She starts up this kind of like very... It's almost like a rags to riches story where she finds a vintage jacket and she's in desperate need of money and she sells on eBay and she finds out that this is like a viable career option in kind of like the 2008 San Francisco landscape. And it has a great soundtrack and some great styling and all the things that I love about a good a good series. And with with um, Girlboss, it got cancelled as as well. Sophia Amoruso, the founder of Nasty Girl also got cancelled herself for firing pregnant women um, oh no <laughs> which wasn't very girl boss of her at all and she coined the term girl boss as well so yeah I think mine also might have been a like a two-folded thing where it didn't get reviewed very well it was expensive because it had a lot of celebrity EPs and a lot of really good cast and then also the person whose life story it was based on also was cancelled <laughs> I feel like Mine is more of a mystery. Like, I really desperately want to know why mine has been cancelled because I only recently got into it and I'd heard that it had been cancelled. And then I stupidly watched it anyway, thinking that (laughs) it would be like a fun series and that I'd be okay at the end of it. But it's Spinning Out, which is a kind of competitive figure skating drama romance, which is created by a former figure skater called Samantha Stratton. And it stars K.S. Goldero and it was produced by Safe House Pictures. And it's so good. It randomly has Jonathan Van Ness in it for like half an hour of an episode. And at the end of the series, there's a lot of plot points that are very clearly kind of open-ended and left to be answered. And in February 2020, it was cancelled. So it was just over a month after it came out. Uh, but I remember they put a lot of effort behind it. I remember, I think it was you, Alice, that sent me the trailer for it. We were both really excited for it. And then it just it just got cancelled. And I, I need answers. I think um, we were looking into some of the data. And I think that there was a period of time, it was early 2020, when Netflix were just commissioning. And they had so much new stuff released at that time. I wonder whether there was almost so much in there that some of it kind of couldn't continue much further but yeah it's it's a really interesting one again that that seemed to have some kind of themes that people were quite keen on Netflix continuing with that they actually didn't end up doing so you know and I think that one of the issues uh, with that is just the volume of content that they had on the platform at the time and I think that ever since then we've seen a trend of of original commissions going down and actually in our data that's one of the real kind of peak points in terms of the number of number of commissions for Netflix original content at that time so maybe there was just almost too much tough competition Uh, so maybe it was a case of bad timing more than anything else I'm sad about spinning out though (laughs) it was so good it was such a cliffhanger so just before this podcast as homework I (laughs) watched the last 10 minutes just to be like yeah I'm pretty sure there were a lot of answers left to be found out and yeah there's like every single person's plot line is just left unknown I can't believe it it's like re re-established the anger that I have just watching it like half an hour ago it's like god I need to know if they skate okay it's my pet hate I think what uh, a season being cancelled on a cliffhanger 
it just leaves me just completely in this anxious state of no the story needs to end the story needs to end and I think the other show that I was thinking about was actually acquired by Netflix it's called The Mist as a Stephen King series it was acquired by Netflix after it had been cancelled already on a, on the US network spike. So I didn't know any of this when I started it. And it ends on a complete cliffhanger. And Netflix still presented it to me, ready for my disappointment. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how many shows there are just kind of out there in the Netflix sphere that just have open endings, just to really like tease you when you get into a show my cancelled show pits is Tuka and Bertie which is an animated show about a family of birds or two birds that were friends I, I thought it was really really good really refreshing but I think it's also it's also faced quite stiff competition on that platform as a period of time where they've they were really kind of amping up the amount of animated content that was based on a more adult audience um so you think about the likes of Big Mouth Paradise PD there's a couple others as well in there you know, it wasn't doing as well as those, mm. but it has since it's since been picked up by Adult Swim. So it's got a second and a third series by Adult Swim, but just not on the Netflix platform. It did reasonably well, um, but I think that in comparison to some of the other stuff in that space, it just it just didn't quite stack up in terms of in terms of how popular it was. And animation, I think, is is one of those is one of those more expensive pieces, you know, types of content to to for to budget for. So perhaps return on investment wise it wasn't it wasn't quite good enough but yeah it is a shame I really liked it I think it's quite interesting that we've all chosen expensive shows like as in they've all been expensive and been good enough therefore to gain people that are big fans of them you know the writing on Girlboss is amazing Charlie Theron's a producer yeah Britt Robertson is the star so she's a big actress spinning out huge stars Mindhunter again huge and Tuka and Bertie like all of these are really expensive shows that maybe also were a little bit niche I mean Mindhunter a little bit less niche crime drama is quite a popular genre but the other three are fairly niche, but also Netflix plunged a ton of money into, which is quite interesting. It's interesting to us to think about kind of what could have been with certain shows that perhaps didn't do so well at the beginning, but then were given a bit more time. So obviously a couple of really classic examples. Um, if you look at UK uh, linear TV, you look at Gogglebox, for example, and a Gogglebox didn't have the best of starts, but then started to improve, um, was given another shot. Again, Not we're not talking expensive the goggle box but it's um it then started to improve and and now it's one of channel 4's best performing shows and then you know other examples i mean breaking bad would be another example that didn't have the best the biggest audience right at the beginning of its first couple of series compared to the cult classic that it that it became so you're never you're, there's going to be a number of shows where you're just never going to know what they could have become but i guess you know that you know um there are examples where there are shows that have gone on to be really successful that that maybe could have been cancelled based on the first series or two. Yeah, because typically with Netflix, the model that we all, that Netflix generally show in terms of when they make their cancellation decisions is they always go straight to series on all of their shows. They don't really pilot. And then at the end of that series, they kind of examine the viewing if they've gotten loads of awards or recognition, and then they compare that to the cost of the show that was being made and then come to some kind of decision. So in terms of our shows, I think with me and Spinning Out, because it was only one season, it's kind of difficult to tell where that would then have gone in terms of an audience. 
I I mean, maybe it's just my own Twitter timeline, but I was aware of people putting, you know, hashtag renew spinning out, hashtag save spinning out. And there is reason for people to do that because I remember Sense8, even though that was like 2017, had such an uproar when they didn't properly finish the series that even though it was really expensive, they managed to amass such a fandom that that balanced the kind of cost to viewership reward and they ended up giving it one final feature length episode because there was clearly more fans than maybe they thought there were but maybe with other shows they just can't find that justification I feel like they made a mistake with Sense8 like people did a campaign with like get give us the end of Sense8 and now on everything gets cancelled people just start a Twitter campaign <laughs> instantly they're like we did it with Sense8 we can we can do it again like I see a lot of after like obviously because I follow the Netflix Twitter account just for seeing what's on there and things like that. I click on a tweet and like all the comments underneath it are, um, for a really long time, I think for over a year was like renew Anne with an E, renew Anne with an E, like no matter what they were posting. And I was like, these guys have been, I've seen the Sense8 Twitter campaign and they're just going hard on every Netflix post. Yeah, I think there's been a petition for Mindhunter as well. I was, for my sins, looking through a Reddit forum to see what people were saying and this started up a petition and I think some people were trying to get it to the government and (laughs) I think there might be a step too far in fandom sometimes. Um, but, But Matt and I have this other theory, we were talking about it, about when Netflix picks up shows that were on linear and were cancelled and tries out the first season. So we were thinking about stuff like, and there's, so sometimes it doesn't go right. So I think that's what happened with me with The Mist, was I think they were like, okay, we're gonna pick up this show that's been canceled, almost do a test run before we invest any money in producing more. But then you've got success stories, like The Circle was canceled and was not renewed on Channel 4, but has done really well on Netflix. Things like Money Heist was originally canceled um, on, on Spain and in Antena Tres on their channel and then obviously has now just taken the world by storm so I think it might be something a bit sneaky that they're doing which can sometimes mean that viewers get disappointed by a cliffhanger ending that will never be renewed. I think there's, there's kind of three key things with, with with you know with the data that we've examined on on some of these cancelled shows um, and some of the patterns that you know, clearly emerge when when looking at this. And the first of all is 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 that Netflix need to be on your side. I think that you don't want to be buried. So you you know, Netflix need to believe in in the content. And you know, ultimately, I think we've mentioned this before uh, in previous conversations. But it's you know, they 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 can uh, they can put your 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 content front and center, and suddenly they can get all the exposure, or it can be buried, and and therefore it's it's much more difficult for you to. To find that content located is like burying something in a schedule. The second thing is that it needs to get off to a good start. Some of the viewers can be pretty brutal uh, in terms of dropping out in you know very limited time, giving it around 30 seconds, one minute before dropping. And that's where we tend to see some of the biggest drops in viewing is episode one, series one, first 30 seconds. So the the, the window opportunity to actually hook somebody into to the content can actually be quite small at times. So that is a that's another really vital thing. And, and the third thing that, that we've that we've understood from the data written more is understanding something that, that we that we call series completion rate, which is just understanding what what on average do people watch through the series. And it's an incredibly strong uh, measure in terms of understanding general popularity and how how well something is likely to do in terms of picking up more viewing into a second series, because uh, you can see that drop off um, and 
it's a, it's a really good kind of understanding of how well that's engaging audiences. I think there are a couple of the shows that we've that we've mentioned already today. You know, Girl Boss spinning out that that those completion rates weren't weren't terrible, but perhaps weren't as good as some of the others. And those and and that might be losing people in those first couple of episodes more than anything else that's driving that down. So it just shows that that first initial two minutes could be so so vital in terms of getting people engaged in your content and then ultimately getting people to watch all the way through and then looking at recommissions as well. So I think that, that it, you know, you can't underestimate the importance of that first initial snippet of, of content. Do you guys think that Netflix values the actual audience amassed that are watching a show or do you think that completion rate is something that is more of a priority for them? It's a hard one, but I think, again, we've got a couple of things to think about with this, which is Netflix is obviously a subscription model. So it works for them to have niche content that might not attract the huge numbers of stuff like Stranger Things, Money Heist. But for example, there might be a group of account holders that love World War II documentaries. And so even though the World War II documentaries on Netflix don't get huge audience figures, it's still a very valuable thing for them because they want to keep those World War II watching account holders. But in terms of completion rate, it's it's really important, I think, Heather, because if you just watch a couple of episodes and then you don't want to go back in, it also generates a bit of a feeling of, oh, that was a waste of time. And I think you can kind of have that feeling with Netflix in a good way and in a bad way. The good way is when you stay up really late and you really should be going to bed because you've got to work the next day, but you have to finish Sex Life or for some for example. But the bad feeling is when you watch two episodes and it was a waste of time and you're never going to get those two episodes back. And I don't think that's a feeling that Netflix wants to generate in its subscription base. You don't want to question the membership. Mm. And they yeah, just say their biggest competitor is sleep not other streaming services they want they want the thing that keeps you up till 2am don't they really I think last time you told us that their biggest competitor is themselves as well yeah they uh, they will never name another service as being a worry to them it'll always be something um something Uh, abstract I think I think Sophia you know hit it on the head uh, in terms of you, you can't get away from acquisitions and retention. Those are the that's the the model in terms of that's where the money comes from. So um, you know, and I'm sure that they've been doing for a long time a lot of really detailed analysis on the data they have in terms of what's driving those two key revenue streams for them. And it's something that we're continuing to explore on our end. I think it's it's really fascinating that you could probably look at you could look at something that gets you know 40, 50 percent of subscribers watching it. Okay, it's a massive show it's brilliant but it might just be a large amount of them are people that you know long-term netflix subscribers it's the real kind of on-brand stuff it's going to appeal to their core heavy viewership therefore you know it's not necessarily driving acquisition or retention because these are people that were on there anyway or you could get something completely niche as sophia mentioned which which could do the opposite and drive nearly you know drive you know a much higher percentage of its audience could be um vital for that for that show in terms of causing acquisition or retention so um, I imagine there you know there are a number of kind of key KPIs that they'll be looking at for their content that that sit around those two key points and it's something that we're really interested in diving into on on the data ourselves and we're continuing to explore ways in which we can use the data to expose uh, new metrics measures that type of thing units of data that that help us understand contribution to to acquisition and retention. If when you start to think about you know who 
there's some strategy brain in a corner being like this series has done this and this has done that it's just fascinating that you know there's there'll be shows that are commissioned primarily for a tiny percentage of the Netflix audience and if it hits with all of that tiny percent it's a success and it will go on and on and on and it won't need to have any sort of mainstream recognition in terms of you know awards or high viewing figures it just has to make sure it hits that that area of the service well and that also seems really separate from what we hear on the commissioning end about what commissioners are looking for because one of the big things that I think TV producers really fear about Netflix is that all decisions are made by an algorithm and we have commissioners coming out and being like we have no idea what the algorithm says we don't know but there's someone along these lines guiding <laughs> these decisions which are made by algorithms or something akin to an algorithm they're very secretive about these things I mean it's it's even quite hard I was to find out the budgeting per episode for a lot of their programs and I think it definitely is a little bit too sci-fi to think that there's just this big supercomputer at the center of Netflix HQ being cancelled, renewed, cancelled, renewed. <laughs> but I mean, they've got so much data. They've been around since 2013. They've been collecting all of our viewing information. Netflix probably knows more about me than a lot of my work colleagues to be honest <laughs> bearing in mind how much has been collected so I think you can't say it's not a factor in those decisions and I think it is a problem for producers because I was talking recently to a, a Spanish producer and he was saying that I was just talking a bit about our product and he was saying um well you don't need to worry about us comparing figures because we don't get anything from Netflix nothing nor from Amazon. And I said, oh, but he's producing a reality show in a second season of it. And I said, oh, but how do you know who to cast then? He said, I have no idea. I don't know who I'm trying to target. I don't know what I should do for the casting. I've been told that the figures did okay, so I get a new season, but I don't know anything more than that. So I think it is, it's a tricky situation for producers, especially when you're casting more stuff like non-scripted and you really want to think about your target audience if they, you never know who it is. Mm, it's interesting with non-scripted as well, because I don't think, to my knowledge, any of the newer Netflix unscripted shows have been cancelled yet. So they had obviously their, their almost like a new slate with Love is Blind, Too Hot to Handle, you know, it really marked a move into those big fact and formats. And to my knowledge, most of those have been amazing successes in terms of viewers and retention and also conversation and marketing. And it'll be interesting to see as this, they now drive more and more money into this area, which ones actually stay and which ones go. And for producers that are maybe making a series at the moment or have a show and they're trying to figure out whether or not it's going to be renewed for more series or if it's going to be that series and that's it. I'm trying to think of like the ways that you can kind of measure these things. And it does sound like it's partly completion rate, it's partly hype and it's partly a kind of matter of luck in terms of maybe you just happen to be at the end of a big spree and now they have to axe a few and they're going to have to make some tough choices and it kind of is what it is unfortunately that's what I kind of am leaning towards spinning out as being is just a case of there were a lot of shows because I think I first saw it in a deadline article and it said that it 
the news of that cancellation was off the back of a few other cancellations because I think there were just way too many big shows on and it just didn't have the same impact as a few others and maybe that would have been different if it was its third or fourth series but just with series one sometimes that's kind of the most critical period for a show yeah if you, if you look at all the in the similar kind of period of time some of the stuff that's you know series ones that were dropped onto the platform in that period of time you've got things like tiger king lock and key the stranger freud um I think the series one of Love is Blind, Love Blind came on at that time as well. So, you know, just to name a few top boys on there as well. So, yeah, I do, it's, a, it's slightly, the numbers seem to be a bit lower now. So the, the, the space is perhaps a little bit less competitive, um, but then perhaps even more competitive in, in what you were discussing earlier with all the trailers. When you go onto that front page and you're just kind of inundated with lots of different trailers and you can easily skip through them. It makes that, that first window, well, once you're in, all the more vital, I think, in terms of, capturing people to get them to watch because you know you could just hover your mouse over the next one and and you can already think oh actually that looks a bit more interesting so i think the space is in one way perhaps getting less competitive at the moment probably due to due to some of the issues that perhaps the pandemic has caused or perhaps the change in strategy in terms of the amount of content that they're commissioning but then on the other side that that shop front uh is is probably a more competitive space than it than it ever has been so if you really love a series you're doing it a big favor by binging it all in one day tell your friends to all watch it uh all the way through uh- <laughs> without stopping 10 10 yeah. straight hours i enjoy how yeah. we've spoken for half an hour and we still are none the wiser why netflix shows get cancelled but there's a few wild theories but the the main message is if you love a show put it on repeat just all day every day you've completed it 12 times you're you're doing it a favor but i suppose that kind of mimics you know it mimics what linear and traditional broadcasters look for they look for a high audience figures and that's kind of all they all they all they really go off of in terms of what what gets renewed what gets cancelled it's really interesting how if we were having this conversation even a couple of years ago there'd be a big debate of like is it the magical algorithm? And now we kind of can all see that m- m- maybe a bit, but most of it is how many people watched it, which is very similar to, you know, what Overnights does and how Overnights TV informs and how, you know, those kind of things inform standard linear commissioning. Definitely. I don't think it's a completely different world when it comes to that. At the end of the day, they've got the same aims. They need to make money. They may have this mission of entertaining all of us. And, you know, I love the whole Netflix brand and culture and everything, but they need to make money at the end of the day. And it's kind of sad. I think especially if you're one of those really artistic producers and you've put kind of your life and soul into a program. But I think really the message is, you know, as we've been talking about, that doesn't mean it's a bad program not being renewed. Mm, For sure. There is a little bit of hope out there that if you target just the right niche and you have a big enough niche that they'll watch it all the way through and they'll love it, then there is still a chance that you would actually get that show continued just because it's hitting a certain audience that maybe just hasn't quite been tapped yet. And that is what Netflix need now because they are plateauing slightly in like the US and the UK. So really, if you can find a show that is a perfect niche, and really attracts a new kind of person or you know 
pipes up the interest of someone who might have watched a few shows and then just unsubscribed that's kind of the golden ticket now I guess to get that big series renewal if you haven't got a huge hit like Stranger Things or something like that it also helps if the person who the show is based off just doesn't get cancelled that too (laughs) (laughs) it is always so much fun to talk to Matt and Sophia and If you enjoy our discussions, you'll be glad to hear that they're going to be back on a monthly basis as guests of Commissioning Conversations. And if you're interested in coming on the podcast to chat with us or want any more information about becoming a member of Commission Index, we would love to speak to you. Drop us a line at info at broadcastintel.com or directly to one of us. We're firstname.lastname at broadcastnow.co.uk. We'll be back soon with more, but until then, goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another podcast, but in the meantime, be sure to check us out and all the latest commissioning briefs and programme green lights at broadcastintel.com. Bye.